Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Harry Glorikian. He's the author of the brand new book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. Harry has been for the last 25 years, a healthcare entrepreneur, an author, a podcaster, a company leader, and he is squarely in the center of the Venn diagram of healthcare and technology. This is his wheelhouse. He's passionate about it. In fact, I am to a certain extent as well, and that's what you'll hear in this conversation. We talk about, one, what AI is when it comes to healthcare and technology. We talk about where we've been where we are at and where we are going when it comes to the intersection between technology and healthcare. And we get into the initial steps that you can start to take if you're interested in seeing what data is available that's going to allow me to improve my health and, like the book says, get healthier, stress less, and live longer. If you're a tech nut or if you're a healthcare nut or if you happen to be both, You're going to love this conversation. So I'll just get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Harry Glorikian. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Harry Glorikian. Harry, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I was pretty excited when I heard about this book because I'm all into tech and I'm also all into health and trying to optimize my own health. And so when the Venn diagram of health and technology overlap, I am all for it. I am here. So I'm so excited to talk about your new book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. I want to get healthier. I definitely want to stress less. I am curious, though, what led you to the now is the moment to write this book. You've got a long background in biotech, but why this book and why now? Well, I had written a 
book previous to this that was more sort of uh, for industry players. And then I got uh, a lot of people were like, you know, I can't highlight every sentence. So can you write a book that's more accessible? So I ended up putting the time in, especially COVID was very, it was just very convenient during COVID because you were sitting at home and not traveling anymore. And so I worked on it. And I think now it's at the level where anybody can read it and sort of really wrap their mind around how all these different technologies can move the needle with either their own healthcare or the healthcare of someone that they love. Interesting. Okay. So I know that you're all about better healthcare, but my curiosity here is how long have you been a, a tech fanatic or you know interested in, in where those overlaps happen? Oh, I've been sort of in and around data since I was, you know, early twenties where I got introduced to it through some of my first or jobs and um, after school or in between classes jobs and when I was in college. So I've been in around tech and data for quite some time. One of the things that also struck me was when these devices were informing me of my own health through an app called Cardiogram and said, you know, have you ever been diagnosed with sleep apnea? And I said, yes. And then it asked me, are you being treated for sleep apnea? And I said, yes, biomarker being my heartbeat, this is able to sort of tell what's going on. And that was when I also said, okay, these technologies are just getting better and better by orders of magnitude every six months to a year. So this is a time where people could really, you know, take control of their own health as opposed to that one time of the year when they go to the doctor and they can't remember everything that's wrong or whatever is wrong isn't happening at that moment when they're there. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you've been interested the whole time, but like many people recently, you've either you know been gifted like say an Apple Watch or some device that starts to present to you data that maybe you don't know what to do with yet, or maybe you do. But that's where it starts to pick up speed in terms of, you know, in the same way that the internet in the mid to late 90s came around but wasn't fully formed yet and then has recently sped up. It sounds like the same kind of technological speed up has been happening lately, too, with AI and technology in terms of healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's two parts of it, right? One of it is the sensors and technology has gotten smaller and sort of easier to implement and also less expensive. For instance, like, you know, I've got a wireless blood pressure cuff on my desk. I mean, you know, not that long ago, you had to go to a doctor to have that done. I've got a tiny Cardia ECG. You know, it's about $80 and it does a six parameter analysis of my heart. And then you combine that with machine learning, AI, you know, some of the techniques that are used uh, that fall under AI. And now you can make sense of that data and put it into a format that explains it to someone so that they can do something actionable with that data. So I think your experience is somewhat mirrored with mine. I mean, you've been paying attention to this a lot longer than me, I think, especially from the health aspect of it. But for me, it's been, you know, you gradually figure out or find out that certain pieces of data are available in your smart devices, your your voice assistants, your smart watches, et cetera. Like, I, you know, I track my sleep now with my watch. I wear it at night. And that's just new to me. That's, I mean, that's relatively new in terms of however, you know, my percentage of years on earth, it's been a very short percentage that I've been doing that, but it's really, really helped me in terms of 
noticing what contributes to better sleep, et cetera. But one aspect of this is, in, and, and it's in the title of the book, the words artificial intelligence. I'm curious if you could maybe clue us in on what your definition of those words are, because I know a lot of people have their own, you know, definition of what artificial intelligence or AI is. Yeah. I mean, when I think of artificial intelligence, it's basically a toolbox of techniques, approaches, you know, many different capabilities that can be brought to bear to solve a particular problem. And so depending on what you're trying to achieve, whether you're looking at an image or you're looking at using something like natural language processing to sort of decipher something that's in a a document, there are different approaches when utilizing these, these tools that are under this umbrella of artificial intelligence. And, you know, they're generally only as good as what they're specifically trained to do. So if you move a little too far outside of what it's designed to do, it sort of fails, right? So it's when, it, when that, that word intelligence is uh, misleading in many ways. Now, that doesn't mean it's not magnificent because we may want it to do that one thing incredibly well, and it could do that one thing incredibly well, like look at an image and, and spot something that we're looking for, or look at a uh, the trace of uh, electrocardiogram, which is sort of like, if you think about it, it is an image, right? And if it's out of whack or out of line, it sort of highlights it for you. And here's the beauty is it's not tired. It didn't play poker last night. It didn't get into a fight with its spouse. It just does it over and over and over again, and it does it in seconds. So it can serve incredible purposes for helping us understand the data and then be able to put it in a format that's very actionable for the person that needs that data immediately and then can act on it. Now, again, the definition of artificial intelligence for a lot of people, they think of it as, you know, they think of it as a bot. They think of it as something that's not necessarily thinking about their best interest so much as the company that created its best interest, which is consumer data. How concerned should we be in terms of privacy when it comes to this crossover of our most personal data, our own health and technology? If if you're, uh, if you're on Facebook or any of these other platforms, you've, you know, the cat's out of the back already <laughs> to a certain degree. I mean, there uh, these systems know so much about every individual. It's scary in, in a lot of ways. When I think about these health and wellness opportunities, yes, there's always a privacy issue. And I think that's something that has to be at a government level, sort of really sort of hold people's feet to the fire from a confidentiality perspective, encryption perspective. I think there's a lot of opportunity for encryption in healthcare. But as far as a lot of the other systems, people don't understand. I mean, there's, a, there's the old saying like, know thyself. I think that's going to be one of the most important things going forward because the machine will actually be able to understand minute differences about you that you may not even notice yourself. And whenever that happens, you know, you sort of open yourself up to being manipulated. Around the health and wellness side, I'm, I'm looking at applications that are more like looking at an x-ray image and sort of identifying a problem that then the doctor can act upon or seeing an image and putting it at the top of the list for the doctor because it highlights that there might be a, a bleed in the brain that needs to be addressed immediately. So I'm 
I'm sort of looking at it from that standpoint, not necessarily how it's going to be utilized to change our behavior. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So in that vein, though, you wrote this book. You've been following this data, this movement in terms of tech and healthcare together in parallel tracks and overlapping tracks even. I wonder what have been some of the ways that as the technology has advanced, I mean, you mentioned the sleep apnea, you mentioned the wireless blood pressure machine and all of that, but what are some of the ways that this has affected you? Like, in other words, as even if you weren't you, what are some of the ways that you've experienced these changes and, and what is some of this data telling you in terms of what you're able to do about your own health data and changes that you can make personally? Oh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm using these devices all the time. Now, one <laughs> of it is, I'm just interested. The other is, you know, writing this book makes you jump into it, you know, head first because you've got to go and then talk about it to everybody else. So if you're not using it, it sort of makes it a little harder to talk about it. But, you know, the areas where I've seen the biggest difference has been in areas like sleep, where I've been able to identify things that cause me to not get the level of deep sleep or restful sleep that uh, I'd actually like. And the better I sleep, the more optimally I perform the next day, which is important to me. You know, the other area has been exercise where I can use it to monitor my, you know, how much I really push myself on a regular basis to sort of stay in shape. I would say maybe diet would be after that using continuous glucose monitors and things like that to understand how different foods affect me. But it could be something just as simple as my uh, wireless scale. When I notice that the line is going in the wrong direction, you know, it's that mental cue to um, maybe I shouldn't have a cookie today. <laughs> maybe I should skip that. Or, you know, maybe that steak tonight with the guys, maybe I'll avoid that and I'll get something lighter like fish. It doesn't mean I'm giving up something. I'm actually making an active decision because, you know, if, if you make these, these small course corrections... I think that is the part of the paradigm where you can really make a difference in your health outcome is by making these tiny course corrections over your life and don't end up in this area of maybe having high blood pressure or something because you didn't make these tiny course corrections along the way. Yeah, well, because you didn't get to high blood pressure status in a week, it was over time, data point by data point, brick by brick, day by day. So the undoing or the reversing and, and or healing, I guess, of that condition is definitely going to be a slow process the other way. 
Yes. And that's where the data comes in. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I always tell people like, you don't have to do anything, but if you know that it's there, it's like, well, you don't have to go to the gas station and fill your car. But when you notice that it's going towards empty, you don't want to get stuck on the side of the road. So the data gives you the opportunity to do something actionable. You could choose to ignore it. It just means that over time, that data just keeps going into the red. Right. And at some point, I think most people realize they really don't want to have a chronic issue and they're willing to do something to change it. It's not everybody, but you know, it would probably be the majority of people that will make the change to improve their own health and wellness or it'll inform them about, you know, a loved one and help them, you know, influence the change for their loved one. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, <laughs> the whole having the data versus doing anything about the data, it, it, you know, I, I th- can't help but think about the whole, Often nobody goes to the doctor. It, it's it's kind of a generalization, but I'll just say it. It's it's the whole nobody goes to the doctor until like something comes up. Then they go to get checked out versus just doing their annual checkup. I think it's actually probably, and, and you may confirm this, more rare than we think that people actually do their annual checkup where they go to their regular doctor and do all the different you know checkups and tests and things. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, these little things along the way, you know, when I go to my doctor and I'm like, I hold up my phone, I'm like, all right, here's my, you know, last six months of blood pressure. I mean, his brain is an incredible pattern recognition system. And so he'll look at that. He'll immediately see if anything is out of line. And it's not when he took the blood pressure in his office at that moment. It's six months of data that he can make an assessment off of. Yeah. So having, again, it's that it's not just one data point, but multiple data points that allow somebody with intelligence, whether it's artificial or not, to start to see patterns and recognize the patterns and and take notice and give you notice for that matter, whether it's a notification or again, somebody actually saying, hey, I'm looking at this test and this is what I'm seeing. We need to do something here. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of the technologies now are single signal evaluation, right? It's your blood pressure singularly, or it's your heartbeat singularly. But, you know, we're not that far away from now people saying, oh, let's look at a few of these together. And now you can really sort of get to the next level of depth when it comes to helping people manage their health. And, you know, the insight that you can get from that is going to be huge. And what you can imagine is these are going to be early warning systems for, you know, this machine that you use every day, all day for a long time. And we have all these sensors on all the other, you know, devices that we use daily, right? Our cars, our the washing machine, that everything has sensors on it to sort of let you know what's going on with it and warn you before something fails. These are becoming devices that we can utilize to help us understand that there's something going on with our own bodies that we can then step in and hopefully fix. Talking about cars, I can't help but think about, we definitely want to make sure like the battery doesn't die, you know, certain systems in our car that we want to know about those early enough so that we can not get stuck and stranded, but it's the day-to-day driving and, you know, overall mileage that we don't necessarily think of as much when it comes to the cars as well as our bodies. However, to come at it from a productivity angle, it actually starts to make more sense. And I'll correlate here. I'm thinking in terms of fuel 
if we knew that we could use data from our car and by just tweaking a couple of things, get much better gas mileage, which would save us money, why wouldn't we? Right. So coming from that hypothetical and then transferring it over to, say, our bodies and like how I said earlier, I track my sleep. And so if I can tell like, well, when I do this during a day, like workout and how late at night I eat or how many times did I wake up through the night or was there, you know, there's different questions that my app will ask me in the morning that I'll answer about the previous day, the previous evening. And by recognizing those patterns of things that affect my sleep for better or for worse, I can get more mileage out of my brain and my body and ultimately better productivity, which when that comes day in and day out, like, you know, just to kind of keep mixing the metaphors here, I get better gas mileage out of me. Oh, absolutely. And if you think about it, right, I mean, spending money on health is a big issue for a lot of people. It's expensive. And so the more you can keep the car you're using on a daily basis in better condition, the less you have to worry about, you know, the fixes along the way, let's say. I mean, eventually you're going to run into a problem. Everything sort of (laughs) works down over time. But, you know, you'd like to push it out as far as you can. I don't want to age faster than I absolutely have to. And that just might be like me keeping myself in good shape or or just getting a really good night's sleep so that my repair system that's built in has a better chance of fixing everything that it can fix. So it could be just simple things like that. I mean, I think more people are pre-diabetic in the United States than they may realize. If they knew... It's probably a pretty good portion that would make a change in their life. You know, there are people that are moving towards having higher blood pressure. Well, and there's probably some people that would make a change to not have that problem and be on drugs the rest of their life. It's the information that empowers the individual to make a change. Yeah. In this instance, we only get one car when it comes to our body, you know, (laughs) we can swap out for other cars or, you know, once one runs down enough of, even if we've kept it well and we sell it or something, you know, that's fine. That's that space. But as far as our bodies go, at least so far, we haven't gotten to the point yet of swapping our consciousnesses into, you know, artificial bodies, but maybe the future, who knows? Probably not our lifetime. We are working on, on organs and we are working on things like that. And they're making good headway in, in some of those areas. So, uh, you, you know, you, you don't know. We might, we might see some of those things that will happen. I think definitely in my lifetime. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, so speaking of that, speaking of the future, I'm, I'm curious, what are some of the things that either seem like they're ahead of their time that we have right now? or things that that are coming up that that you're most excited about when it comes to tech? Um, I think that's another reason why I wrote this book. I don't think enough people know what's currently available. I think for a lot of people who are even knowledgeable have read the book and said, geez, I really didn't think it was as far along as you say it is, or you're showing me it is. So I think that's one. I think most people don't realize how far we've got with a lot of these devices. The next step, I think, is, you know, like I said, multi-biomarker integration. So it's multiple things that are being looked at and where you can look at the information together to give you an answer. And then the next integration is going to be where 
you can have Siri or Alexa or these things sort of almost interact with you to help you manage yourself better. I mean, I write about a scenario in the book, which is literally right around the corner where my bed, which is an eight sleep bed, talks to my watch, which they all talk to my thermostat. And between all three, they're trying to optimize temperature and everything else so that I get the best night's sleep that I can. Now, that's not, in my mind, futuristic. That's, you know, a connector called an API that gets put together and they just, you know, the programs coordinate with each other to optimize my sleep for the next morning. I can see this jumping in leaps and bounds over the next three, four, five years, where I think some of the stuff we're looking at today may seem a little antiquated. Yeah, in the same way that, uh, and by the way, API for for people that don't know, I didn't know for a long time until I, you know, looked it up. It's API stands for Application Programming Interface, and in essence, it's the back door or the proper door, I should say, for many different software systems to talk to each other in the way that the software creator intends for it to be used. So it's like, well, they've changed the API, so now this thing can talk to that thing, and oh, great, that's awesome. So just in case people needed a quick little tech schooling lesson. (laughs) But my point there was, I, I think that's the key. I think that's the real thing here is you've got different pieces that all have like, in other words, all these silos of data that have cropped up from here and there. And, you know, you've got Apple Health and you've got Amazon assistants that'll do different things. You've got, you know, uh, again, the Apple Watch, that's really my main tracker of sorts and a few different other things. But I think what you're saying is, is that it's already starting to all talk together. It'll be interesting when it really kicks in and starts to, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah. And I mean, everybody's to be towing into that space because, you know, if you're on the health and wellness side of it, you don't need regulatory approval, FDA approval. But if you're going to do an ECG like you can on the Apple Watch, the FDA wants to make sure that is correct. Um, If you're going to do blood pressure, if you're going to give something that is medically relevant, you know, that really does need to get cleared with the FDA, which is a really good thing because we want those things to perform the way that we expect them to perform. But I'm seeing more and more companies design systems that can be utilized under that regulatory umbrella. And there's more and more all the time. I mean, there's one, I think it's called Dip.io, where you can do a urine analysis with your phone. Like, you know, it has a little card, you put a sample there and you wait a couple of minutes and then you snap a picture and it's as good as the device that would be used inside of a hospital. Wow. You know, there's an ultrasound that's out now that can be used by somebody that is not trained on how to use an ultrasound. And it, it'll say to you, uh, move a little up, move a little down, you know, move a little to the right, move a little to the left. Cause the AI system is sort of guiding you to get the optimal image from somebody who has no experience in that space. So there are some really cool, interesting things coming that are really going to democratize healthcare, I think make it much more accessible. And as you know, with technology, it's going to bring down the price. Right, right. Well, and so that's the thing that I think is maybe the tipping point from curiosity to awareness that a lot of people might have right now. I mean, I feel like I'm a little bit further along than some people just because, again, I've already been tracking for, gosh, I'm trying to think of how long it's been now that I've been tracking. I mean, I've been doing the Apple Watch 
with workouts and things like that. And, you know, tra- even just tracking steps, I-, I guess that's where I'm going with this here though, is that, you know, what would you suggest in terms of like a bare minimum or easiest threshold to cross into starting to collect data and use it in a proactive way towards our health? Oh, I always tell people like, you know, the simplest thing is that you know, everybody has to scale, right? Get a connected scale and start tracking, like, is the line moving in the right direction? Right. Sort of thing. It's very simple. That doesn't need to be anything complicated. I mean, if people want to graduate from there and they'd like to optimize their sleep, I mean, they can splurge on an Apple Watch or they can get like, you know, the lowest cost Fitbit, which by the way, one of the last studies I saw showed the Fitbit being incredibly accurate on sleep track. You know, there are a number of these devices. You don't have to spend a mountain of money. I think a wireless scale now is down to like $40. Yeah. You know, blood pressure cuff that speaks to your phone, $40. I, I know people that take their blood pressure and then write it down. Like, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, there's a connection for that. Like it'll just, you you can see it. And when, when you're watching it, you can see if something is out of line. So, so, you know, a couple of things that are as simple as that, that are very meaningful to someone's health. I would say those are the easiest. And then there are things that are much more advanced. Like you could get a continuous glucose monitor, see how food affects you. And there's a couple of companies that are making it available to non-diabetics, which would be a company called January. And then another company called Levels, you know, if you want to optimize your workout, you know, the Apple Watch is great, but I use a a Whoop band, which is a company that's here out of Boston for optimizing my workouts. So depending on what you want to do, there's, there's different devices or different apps. And I try to talk about many of these in the book, but you don't need anything complicated to start. I, I always tell people, get a scale. Yeah. Most of us may even have one that's analog, not smart, doesn't connect to anything. And that's even a starting point. It's still tech. It's just (laughs) lo-fi in a way. (laughs) Yeah. I I like to look at the line as opposed to just the numbers and the direction of the line over time really tells me. And then I can look back in time and be like, you know, I really was 10 pounds lighter like two years ago. There's no reason why I can't be 10 pounds lighter again. So it sort of gets motivates me because I can look back in history and it's not that moment in time that I'm making a decision, but I have a historical perspective. Right, right. Well, and, and I even thinking back, like weighing in on a, a scale that wasn't, you know, a digital readout, but recording that weight in an app on my phone was, I think, the very first step into this world that I took. And then I think from there, at some point it was, I, I had gotten a Fitbit and so on. And, you know, for a lot of people, again, the, the cheapest way to get in is a scale or a Fitbit or something small like that. I mean, most of the Fitbits these days, the new versions, they're all somewhere in the 50, 60 to 200 range, somewhere in there. And the Apple Watch starts from there, I believe, somewhere into the, you know, two to three to four to something range, depending on you. But, but again, you, I'm, I'm, I emphasize range and you can start at the small end and just notice things, just capture, collect, and then notice, and then you can do something with it. Or like, if you've already got a phone, like there's an app that I use called humanity and it will give me an idea of how fast I'm aging through a complex algorithm of, you know, exercise and different things. And uh, what I could tell you is some older people that I know that have humanity, 
that look at the number and they're like, uh, I don't want to get older faster than I have to. And they've actually like started walking or exercising because that number alone is enough to motivate them to do something. So it isn't another device. It's just an app that's on your phone that integrates and collects all that data because you have your phone with you that can inform you of, you know, a certain part of your health. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, I, I actually did notice somebody mentioned that this book is like the money ball of healthcare in a way. And one, I love that movie. And for people that don't know, you know, I'll spoil it here slightly. The whole premise, and it's based on a real story, is that using the math and statistics to make decisions instead of just gut feelings, they were able to make accurate decisions and create a winning team. And this is the same thing. It's gathering. It's one, it's deciding to gather data, look at the data, and then make decisions. I'm curious if there's any kind of correlation there for you as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, in God, we trust everybody else bring data, basically. I mean, you know, my wife will say to me, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta understand your body. Listen, I have a million things in my head. I just want some data that shows me, did the glass of wine at 10 o'clock screw up my deep sleep? And if it did, okay, maybe I'm either going to skip the one at 10 o'clock or I'm going to have it at like six o'clock so that by the time I go to sleep, I just want the data so that I can sort of figure out exactly what's going on and manage myself. And I think a lot of people, and I've been in healthcare a long time, when you put a piece of data in front of most people that shows that something is moving in the wrong direction, many of them decide to make a course adjustment because they don't like the direction that that data is pointing them towards. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that we often, again, we live in that kind of mode or mentality of, well, unless the check engine light metaphorically or literally comes on, we don't really tend to do much about it. And I think that's something we need to psychologically, culturally even move past or change habits around. I mean, you know, a lot of people will say like, look, I just, you know, I don't want to pay attention. It's like, it's not flashing in front of your face 24-7, right? It's just there when you want to look at it, you can see it. And then you can choose to do something about it. Nobody wants to get older or have their body break down faster than it actually has to. And I think what these apps do is it helps you optimize things so you can live the life you want to live and make small course adjustments along the way that doesn't really upend the way that you want to live and gets you to sort of a more optimal outcome. You know, we always say to people like, oh, they are just blessed with genetics. And that's true. If you've got great genetics, like you've got a great thing working for you, but it doesn't mean that you can't optimize what you've already got to have a better outcome. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think there's a lot here. Again, I think it's going to take time and uh, normalization of the way the data is collected, the way the data is presented, and uh, you know, just education overall. But I, I think that we're definitely moving in this direction where we need to be aware of it. I definitely want to point people towards they can grab the book and gain more information about it. Where's the best place for you if people were to go find out more about the book? You know, it's available on Amazon. So if they go to Amazon and they type in the future you and then my last name, Kalarikian, they can get it there. They can also just go to my website, which is www.glorikian.com. 
And they can find the book there or my podcast where I talk to different people in the field about this. I'm very easy to Google and find. Perfect. Well, Harry, it's been awesome talking with you. And you know, I feel confirmed in my deeper health and wellness journey. I hope others are too. Thanks for being here and look forward to talking again, again sometime in the near future. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be on anytime you have any questions. I'm happy to try and help. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed listening in on this conversation with Harry Glorikian. And it goes way beyond just, hey, get an Apple Watch to track your steps and your heartbeat and your sleep and so on. Like, this data is going to become so prevalent. And again, going to have to have privacy concerns and all of that good stuff. But all that to say that this is definitely something you need to start thinking about if you haven't already when it comes to your health, your health data, and the way that technology can improve your life when it comes to your health. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd love for you to do me the favor of sharing it with somebody that you know needs to hear it. You can do that by hitting the share button in your podcast player app of choice right now, or head on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com, and you can hit the share button there, search for other episodes and topics. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next episode.